Well, welcome to week 25 of our Believe series as we unpack what it means to live out the story of the Bible to become like Jesus. We are nearing an end, just a few more weeks, and we will complete our series. Um, I'm excited that I think the next two weeks, Zoran will be sharing with us again. I love the fact that I have a, a brother in Christ that uh, can teach and preach and, and is willing to do so. And so uh, he's out of town this week, and uh, he'll be back next week. And then uh, I think after, he's going to preach twice, and I think then he's gone for the next two weeks. Um, so he's doing a lot of traveling right now, but it's exciting. So in our, our study of this idea of believe, we are studying and looking at what it means to think and act and ultimately to become like Jesus, that, that we, would, we would live and think like he did. Okay, Not that you can become Jesus, but you become like Jesus as he works through you, especially through the power of the Holy Spirit and his word. And so this idea of thinking and acting and, and being like Jesus is only possible if you have God with you, God's presence. And we get God's presence according to Romans chapter 8 when we become a believer. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of us and stays with us. And as we've been looking at this idea, particularly this last few weeks and going into the next couple as well, we're looking at these characteristics, these attributes of what it means to be or become like Jesus. How does that look in your life and mine? And it starts inside, which is why you have to have Jesus. But then... It requires of us that we stay connected to Jesus. And that's where the illustration of the vine and the branches that Jesus talked about in John 15 comes into play. That just like these grapes cannot grow and be plump and juicy unless they remain, they abide in the vine, so too we cannot grow and produce good fruit unless we remain in Jesus. And... I often have said in the last few weeks that let somebody squeeze you or let life squeeze you and see what comes out of you, and then we'll know what's really going on inside. See, we can cover it up for a while, but eventually, when life gets hold of you, we'll find out what you're really like. And see, that's what happens when you see these tragedies in the news, and people are like, oh, they were such a nice person, they were this and they were that. Well, in reality, there was something inside of them that was quite unsettled. And life squeezed them enough that it came out. And this is what they were really like. When I was in Springfield, Missouri a uh, long time ago, one of the first areas of ministry that uh, I got involved in was uh, some nursing home ministry. And we would go round up these residents from their rooms. You know, many of them we would have to wheel in in a wheelchair. And I'll tell you, if, if you ever want to know if you can, like, endure something... Uh, try preaching to a, a bunch of people that are just sitting there in their, in their uh, wheelchairs and they all go to sleep on you every single week. And I don't think it's actually anything to do with the message. It's, uh, it's just where they are at that point in their life. But my point related to that and fruit being squeezed is I remember this, this one little old lady and we would wheel her down and she would sing praises to Jesus. And when we were done with the service, we would wheel her back to her room. And she would say some of the most perverted things. And you would think, how is this coming out of this woman's mouth? When a minute ago, she was just praising Jesus. You see, she had Alzheimer's. And what happened is the filter between her brain and her lips and her tongue wasn't working right anymore. And the thing is this, that's what's inside. You see, if you and I didn't filter what comes out of our mouth, people would know more about what we're really like. Are you all with me? Yeah. And so, no, Alzheimer's is not good, and I don't wish it on anybody, but you know what it does do? Is it shows us some of the negative, some of the bad side of what's inside of us when that stuff comes out. And that's why we need Jesus. You know? So this morning I want to talk to you about hope. I don't want you to be sour grapes. I want good fruit to come out of it, and that's what Jesus wants. A number of years ago, researchers performed an experiment to see the effects that hope would have on those undergoing hardship. They took two sets of rats and placed them in two separate tubes of water. 
the researchers left one set of rats in the water and found that within an hour they'd all drowned. Okay? You all with me here? You got a set of rats and they're in a, a tub of water and within one hour they all drowned. In the other room though, here's what happened. Every few minutes, someone would pick the rats up out of the water and they'd get a fresh of breath air and then they'd put them back in the tub of water. And you know what they found? That second set of rats, they swam continuously for 24 hours. They never stopped swimming in the 24 hours, except for those few moments where they were plucked out of that tub of water. And you know what the researchers found? Those rats swam for 24 hours because they had what? They had hope. Now, they don't even understand. But they had this hope that something, whatever it was, some big crane thing that plucked me out of this tub of water was going to again pluck me out of this tub of water and allow me just a second to breathe again and not think I'm going to drown. And so because of that, they did not give up. And they swam continuously for 24 hours. Can you imagine 24 hours of nonstop swimming? The other rats died in an hour. Because they had no what? Hope. They had no hope. And if you don't have hope, that's about what happens to you as well. You can't live without hope. Watch this quick little illustration about hope. The average person can survive about three to five minutes without air. You got to have it if you're going to live. There's no way around it. Hope is what keeps people going. All sorts of people lose hope. All ages of people lose hope. Even Christians can lose hope and can lose their way when they don't stay connected to Jesus. Most people just plain put their hope in the wrong things. One of the sad things that I remember about my time in Missouri is there was a year and a half time period where every single quarter, like academic school quarter, you know, every single quarter I went to a funeral for some teenager. And the majority of them was because they had committed suicide. Now, why does a person commit suicide? Because they've lost all hope. That's exactly right. Melissa and I, for a while, we like to watch this uh, show called Flashpoint. And it didn't take very many episodes before I began to realize that pretty much every single episode revolves around somebody who had lost hope. See, in, in Flashpoint, the, the whole thing is that people are in this situation where they never thought they would be, and they do something kind of crazy normally, okay? And so the law enforcement is called in in this, this situation to try to talk somebody down, the negotiators, you know? And... Each situation, it's because they had lost hope. It didn't matter if, if someone was dying and they didn't have the money for the cancer drugs or if something with their kid or um, some other financial situation or another relationship situation, whatever it was, they had lost hope that there was any way to solve the problem. And so you know what? Desperate people do desperate things, and they lost hope. Most people just put their hopes in the wrong things. I want us to look first this morning at a few things that Scripture says about false hopes. When you put your hope in the wrong thing, it's not going to pan out. These are false hopes. Now, it's good to have hope, but you've got to look at what you're hoping in. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, we read the following. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth. But on God. In other words, put your hope on God instead of wealth. Who richly will provides us with all things to enjoy. 
Here we learn that you can have your hope set in the wrong thing, a false hope in riches. You don't want your false hope in riches. In Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9, it says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord to trust in nobles. Nobles being another word for men. In this case, men higher up in society. False hopes in people. You do not want to put your hope in people. They will fail you. Raise your hand if you've never had a person fail you. Yeah. None of us. We've all had people fail us. Raise your hand if you've never had money fail you. In other words, you've always had as much money as you've ever wanted to do anything you wanted to do. It will fail you. So why would we put our hopes in it? Why would we put our hopes in the American dream? It's not going to work. Why are you going to put your hopes in people? They're going to fail you. Jeremiah 17, 5 and 6 says this is what the Lord says. The man who trusts in mankind, who makes human flesh his strength and turns his heart from the Lord is cursed. Whoa! He will be like a juniper in Arabah. He cannot see when good comes, but he dwells in the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land where no one lives. You don't want to put your hope in people. They'll fail you. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 18 and 19. says, What use is a carved idol after its craftsman carves it? It's only a cast image, a teacher of lies. The one who crafts its shape trusts in it, which is silly if you think about it, and makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to the wood, Wake up! Or to the stone, come alive. Can it teach? Look, it might be covered or plated with gold and silver, but there's no breath in it at all. Now he's talking about carved statue-type idols from the Old Testament time period. We have different types of idols today. We have idols that we create today just like they did back then. Anything that you think is super important in your life and you can't be without, it's an idol. False hopes and riches, false hopes and people, false hopes and idols. These are all things that will fail you. The last false hope I just want to mention before we look at the true hope is found in Isaiah chapter 31, verse 3. It says, the Egyptians are men, not God. And so there, actually, you get the idea of not putting your hope in men. Okay? So that's kind of a repeat. Their horses are flesh not spirit, so don't trust in that either. When the Lord raises his hand to strike, the helper will stumble, and the one who is helped will fall. Both will perish together. What is Isaiah talking about? He's talking about putting your hopes and putting your trust in the military might and the powers of government. You see, here's what would happen in the ancient Near East. When they were in battle with somebody, say Assyria or Babylon was coming in, God's people would be tempted to go to Egypt. You have to know your geography to understand this. But if you were to look at a map, and if I represent Israel in the middle, Babylon and Assyria are over on the right side. So if they're coming in to take me over, I'm looking for somebody over here on my left side, Egypt, to come in and support me. And God says, you're fools. You're trusting in Egypt instead of trusting in me. You are my people. The only reason that Assyria and Babylon are coming in is because you've rebelled against me and I've sent them as a punishment. You think that Egypt is going to protect you? So here we have the false hopes of human government. And so just to summarize these false hopes, false hopes in riches, people, idols, and human government. These are areas you don't want to put your hope in. But the truth of the matter is you do. We're in the midst of a presidential election season. You can get on Facebook, you can read the blogs, you can whatever. Who's going to win? If you're putting all your hope in the next president, then you're putting your hope in the wrong place. If you put your hope in our current president or the previous president, as a Christian, you're putting your hope in the wrong place. You see, it doesn't matter which president we have. No, I'm not telling you not to vote. I'm just telling you, don't put your hope in a person, a man or a woman. Put your hope in God. Because God is the one who will see us through. Hope is about believing that things will turn out better. 
When we put our hope in things other than God, we will be disappointed eventually. And when we hope in God's promises, we can count on those promises being kept. And that gives us a renewed energy to keep going and to stay faithful. So what's true hope? True hope is what you need. True hope is what I need. Okay? Not false hope. We need true hope. Hope is talked about more than 150 times in the Bible. So obviously God thinks something about it. The meaning of hope and all the different ways that it says it is very different, though, than what you guys often think of when you think of the word hope. When you say, I hope I get such and such a gift for your birthday or Christmas, you want it. You want someone to get it for you, but you're not sure. You may not get it. That's not how hope is used in the Bible. Hope is used in the Bible of something that is certain to happen. You just don't have it yet. You understand the difference? So let me put it this way. And, and this is where our, our thinking, we don't quite grasp it. Because if you knew for sure, okay, if you knew for sure that you were going to get this brand new game system for your birthday, you probably wouldn't say, I hope I'm going to get because you know you're getting it. But see, right now you don't have it. So the way the Bible talks about it is that would be the hope. Even though you're certain to get it, but you don't have it now. So you see, here's what hope covers. Hope covers the time period between the now and the then. All right? So let me put it to you like this. Okay? As a believer in Jesus Christ, what does God promise me when I die? He promised me eternal life to be part of his kingdom. Now, do I have eternal life yet? I do and I don't, right? But I do because I have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit never dies, right? So I have eternal life. But when I die, this body is going to do what? It's, yeah, it's going to go on the ground, decompose. The, the worms are going to eat it maybe, right? Until God does what? Jesus comes back and resurrects my body, right? And so in between the here and the then, okay, is what we're waiting for. But... The scripture does say my eternal life starts now because salvation is eternal life, right? And it continues on into the future. So when the Bible talks about hope, this incorruptible, imperishable hope in the book of Peter, okay, for instance, he's saying you can count it a certainty that even though you're standing here and you're not over here yet, it is going to happen. Does that make sense? Because that's not how we often think about things. And so this is why it's so important that we do what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. Renew our minds, all right, with the scriptures. Hope. It's kind of like this. It's like an owner of a business who has a contract for a thousand pairs of shoes to be delivered next month to his store. All right? Now, does he have the shoes yet? No. He doesn't have the shoes yet. But he's ordered the shoes. And another man calls him. And says, I have shoes to sell. Would you like to buy some? And the businessman says, no, I don't need any. I've got a thousand pairs. Now, does he have the thousand pairs yet? No. He doesn't. But they're on order, and they're on a boat, and they're on their way. So he does. They're his. He's bought them. They just haven't arrived yet. Are you with me? This is what you need to understand. He owns the shoes. They just haven't arrived yet. Okay? You've got the salvation, it just hasn't all arrived yet. When God talks about the promises that you have, the hope, okay, it just hasn't all arrived yet. When God made promises to Abraham, he said, Abraham, I'm going to give you the promised land. I'm going to give you Canaan. Just start walking that way. Abraham had it, but he didn't. Are you with me? It's in process. It's yours. You just don't have it all yet. And that's what we're talking about with hope. The biblical hope. God's already promised. He's made the preparations. He's paved the way. We just haven't received it all yet. That's our future hope that's coming to us. Now, what if the shoes get delayed on a ship? You've got a thousand pairs of shoes coming. They're coming across the ocean, and the ship gets delayed. Does the man start to worry? Where's my shoes? That all depends. That all depends on his relationship with the guy he bought them from. You see, if he trusts the guy, what's he going to think? No big deal. 
The shoes are coming. Not sure why the delay, but the shoes are coming because I trust what? Who I got them from. See, that's how it is. The scriptures say <clears throat> that many people, mockers, they say, oh, yeah, Jesus is coming back, right? It's been 2,000 years, bro. Wake up. He ain't come yet. Where's your hope? Does that crush your hope? I mean, let's be real. Sometimes I sit there and I think, yeah, it has been 2,000 years. What if this stuff's not real? Right? And then I go back. You know what I go back to? I go back to the scriptures and I go back to Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, but Jesus did come 2,000 years ago and he did die. And he did raise from the dead. And the guy that rose from the dead said, I'm coming back. And so you know what I go back to? I trust what he said. Which is, by the way, how I got saved. Because was Jesus standing right in front of me when I got saved? No. A preacher read the scriptures that said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I believed. I trusted the words from the Bible, God's word. It's the same way. So it's based on this trust factor that you have, which is why you're saved by grace through faith. But at the same time, there's a hope that's connected. So hope and trust and faith all work together. We read in the pages of Scripture that people had hope in God or Christ all over the place. This hope is what we have to live our lives in. Hope is available to all followers of God, but not everyone takes hold of it. It can be hard for us to trust in a God that we can't see and hold fast to. Like, I don't know about this. All these promises? I haven't seen God. But have you seen what he's done? Have you read about what he's done? Hope activates faith, and faith deepens hope. Let me say that again. Hope activates faith, and faith deepens hope. They work together. They're in tandem. So our question is this. How do I deal with the hardships and the struggles of life? Every one of you has hardships and struggles of your life. Okay? Some of you might not think that I do, but we do. All right? Everybody does. All right? We're looking for work right now. <clears throat> I've been looking for work for the last couple of months. So we have struggles that we have to trust God on. The last time I needed income was in January, and well, the end of December. And you know when it came? I got a job right before. Everything ran out. It worked out actually that my last paycheck from here was two weeks to my next paycheck from my new job. And so, wow, that's pretty tight timing, isn't it? There wasn't a day over the two weeks. It was exactly the two weeks. So do I have to trust in God? I do. I do. Do I see the job? I, I don't. Where, where is it? I don't know. How do you deal with the struggles and the hardships in your life? Psalm 39, verse 7. Psalm 30, 39, verse 7. It says, Now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Now, every one of you has a card in your table, and it has this verse on it. The verse reference might actually be off by one verse. Sorry. Um, this card is for you to take home and learn this verse. Now, I know most of the weeks no one learns them, okay? And they're long. I specifically made a very short one this week. I want you to think about this verse, okay? We got to get this into our minds. This is what the song that we sang, the last song was based on. Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Oh, what are you waiting for? The Israelites, when Babylon and Assyria were attacking, the Israelites wanted to rely upon Egypt to come with their armies fight against the armies of Assyria and Babylon. And God says, what are you doing waiting on them? I am your hope. Why are you looking to some other government? Some other chariots? See, you read that and you're like, oh, horses and cavalry, that's nice. No, no, no. Put it in modern terms. Okay? They were waiting for the army tanks and the Humvees and the Apache helicopters from Egypt to come and blow the Assyrians out of the water. Are you with me? That's what they were waiting for. Hezekiah is an interesting story. Hezekiah is in the midst of this situation. Assyria is camped outside of Jerusalem. 
Okay? Imagine where you go to school, imagine that's the city of Jerusalem. Imagine there's walls all around it. You probably have a fence anyway, right? So imagine the, the fence isn't just a fence, it's like a wall, a high wall, okay? And on, on the wall, okay, on the inside of the wall, you have this little area where you can run, okay? This is how it is if you go to Israel. Like, I, I run on the wall of, of the temple. It's pretty cool, all right? But imagine you're on the wall, okay? And why do you have a little place that you can stand behind the wall? So you can shoot, okay? So when the enemy comes, you can stand up there on the wall and you can shoot down, right? And so the Assyrians are surrounding the city of Jerusalem. And Hezekiah is the king. And the Assyrian representative comes and he says, surrender, okay, or we will kill you all. He said, no one's coming to help you. He said, you think Egypt's going to come help you? They're nothing. They ain't going to help you. He said, we've taken every other place from Assyria, from Babylon, all over the Tigris and Euphrates, all the way to Jerusalem. We've taken them all. You think you're going to stand against us? And Hezekiah doesn't know what to do. But here's what he did. Hezekiah went in. And he's got the scriptures. And he laid it out before God. And he prayed to God. And then he went to sleep. And he woke up the next morning. And there was 185,000 dead Assyrians surrounding the city. Who killed them. God killed him while Hezekiah slept. Where does your help come from? It comes from the Lord. It comes from God. That's correct. Where is your hope? Not in Egypt. Your hope comes from God. You say, oh, Kevin, that was so long ago. That doesn't happen today. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Our problem is we lack faith and we lack hope, and we don't move out in faith. When the Israelites were getting ready to cross these rivers, the Jordan River got split several times. Red Sea was split by God. One of these times, God told his people, okay, you're getting ready to cross over the river. Now, here's what you do. The priests carrying the ark, they are to go out there, and they are to put their foot in the water, and then I will part it. Now, God didn't say, I'm going to part it, and then you go over it. In this instance, he said, you put your foot in there, and as soon as your toe hits that, that water, you know what I'm going to do? Split it. What did they have to do? They had to step out in faith, right? If they just stayed on the shore the whole time, no trust in God, no hope. Nope, I don't have any hope. He's not going to part the water for me. You just stay here. What's going to happen? Nothing. You put that toe out, and boom, what did God do? He split that water. Why? Because he said he would. His promise. God is not a man that he should lie. You put your hope in a man or a woman, what are they likely to do? Lie to you. You put your hope in God, he don't lie. Ever. There are no hopeless situations. There are only people who have grown hopeless about them. If you were Hezekiah that day, surrounded by hundreds of thousands of soldiers, go back to your modern day. Put yourself at your school. Pretend everybody at your school is locked into your school. You've all run out of food. There's nothing to drink surrounded by the military, the entire FBI, force, CIA, all the Army, the Navy SEALs, they're all surrounding your school. How are you ever getting out? There is no hope. Oh, but there is. Because who still is king of the universe? God is still king of the universe. And so there is hope. There are no hopeless situations. There's only people who have grown hopeless about them. G.K. Chesterton once said, hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it is no virtue at all. That's the whole point of hope. If you've got it right in front of you, we're not hoping about it, are we? If you've already got that game system you wanted for your birthday, are you hoping for one? No, you got it. You own it. It's right in front of your face. Hope is about in between the here. The 185,000 soldiers were already dead, and Assyria was no longer on the doorstep of Jerusalem. But Hezekiah need hope? No, he's already got it. He's got his answer. So it's not a problem. Watch this video about Simeon at the time of Jesus' birth. 
time of Jesus' birth, there was a man named Simeon who followed God closely and devoted himself to God's ways. He knew of God's promise to one day send a Messiah to rescue Israel, and he waited and hoped for this to happen. God's Spirit revealed to Simeon that he would not die before he saw the Messiah himself. Simeon was moved by what God's Spirit told him, so he went to the temple. As he stood in the outer courts of the temple, he saw Joseph and Mary bring their young child, Jesus, into the temple. They were there to offer a sacrifice, a pair of doves or pigeons, in order to consecrate Jesus to God. Simeon took the child into his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Mary and Joseph marveled over what Simeon said about their young child. Finally, Simeon blessed Mary and Joseph as well. Just as God had promised to him, Simeon had seen the Messiah with his own eyes. Can you imagine being Simeon? God had told him, that he would see the Messiah. The Messiah had been promised for hundreds of years, even thousands of years. And Simeon is told that he is the one who's going to see him, and he'll see him before he dies. You know, now that's fine when you're a young man, but as Simeon got older and older and older, what do you think sometimes came across his mind? Yeah, that he's really not going to come. Then I'm getting older and older and older. I'm going to die every day now. Yeah. Where is this boy? Where is this Messiah at? Dad. Yeah, so he finally comes. And guess what? God held up his promise. Simeon said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. What's he mean by that? It means I can go now. I can die. I've seen him. You can dismiss me in peace. I've seen the Messiah. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. You see, you can cope when you have hope. You can cope when you have hope. The situation may seem impossible. It may seem hopeless, but that's exactly when hope comes in. Now, Simeon's not the only one. Think about some of the stories you know. Abraham, called by God to go into a strange new land, promised he's going to have children as numerous as the stars in the sky. And after 24 years, he still doesn't have a child. How am I going to have children as numerous as the stars in the sky when I still don't have one? Now, they were reaching old age, too. 100 years old, 90 years old wife, Sarah. Where's the children? We don't have any. Oh, but God said you're going to have one. What do you think everybody else said to him? Yeah, right. What do you think they said to Noah who's building the ark for all those years? Oh, it's going it's to flood and all you know. What you've been smoking. Right? Seriously. What did Noah do, though? He had faith and he endured and he trusted and he had hope. And what did Abraham do? Yeah, he messed up. He made some mistakes along the way. But he kept on hoping. And eventually, what did God do? He fulfilled his promise at the right time because God is never late. And he gave Abraham his son Isaac, who became the father of the 12 tribes, who became the nation of Israel, through whom Jesus, the Messiah, was born, who one day, Simeon, in fulfillment of another promise, got to see and bless the baby Jesus. Now, can you, what's that? Yes. One that we were supposed to have. Okay? Now, can you imagine 
been so blessed that you got to see the baby Jesus and bless him and his parents? Okay? This is the God of the universe that you're going to spend forever with in heaven. You get to see him as a little baby boy. And bless him. That would be pretty cool. But Simeon had to endure in his hope. Romans chapter 4, verse 18 says, He, speaking of Abraham, believed, hoping against hope. What does that mean? It means it was impossible, but he still had hope. Why? Because you can cope when you've got hope. Hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations according to what had been spoken. So will be your descendants, as numerous as the stars in the sky. That's what God said. He didn't just become a father of a son, he became a father of nations. As numerous as the stars in the sky. Abraham's hope grew because he believed the God of hope, even though all human hope was gone. Christian hope is direct to the same God who fulfilled this promise to Abraham and raised Jesus from the dead. What God has done in Christ gives Christians a far greater reason to hope than Abraham had. Yes, Abraham had his son. But Jesus died and rose again. Which one's harder? Hope is the source of of the present strength for believers because it is grounded in what God has done in Christ. It's experienced in the power of the Spirit and it moves towards the glory that is to be revealed. The future. The there. We're here. It's there. In between the here and the there is what? Hope. We could talk further of the Israelites who waited many years to get to the promised land, but eventually where do they get? The promised land. We could talk of David, David, who waited years to become king, and he endured King Saul's repeated attacks on his life. But eventually, what did he become? King. king. Because who promised it? God. And who never lies? God. And so why can you have hope? Because of God. That's why. We could talk of many others in the Bible who had to wait on God. In fact, every single person has had to wait on God. That is part of why hope exists. If there was no waiting, you wouldn't need what? Hope. The whole point is that hope is between the here and the there. It's the waiting period. That's why it's hope. Hope is a decision that must be made continually. You have to choose to continue to believe God and trust his promises. That's your hope. Hence, Romans 8.24 says that hope is what is seen would not be hope. Look at what it says. Okay, Romans 8, 24 and 25. Now, in this hope, we were saved. Okay, talking about our salvation. Okay, the hope that Jesus would come and save us. Yet, hope that is seen is not hope. Right? Think about it. Hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? Go back to the game system you wanted for your birthday. If you've already got it, are you hoping for it? No. Because you see it. It's in front of your face. You've got it, right? You're hoping for what you don't yet have. But if we hope for what we do not see, then, now get this, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Now, listen, if, if this was your Bible, I would tell you to get a highlighter out, get some uh, markers and astrocize it, okay, sticker it, put a post-it note, burn it in your brain, okay? We eagerly wait for it with patience. There's two key things that you've got to get. Eagerly. Eager beaver. What's that? Eager. Can't wait for it. You gotta wait, right? Yeah, I tricked you there, right? So eagerly, though, what? You're excited, right? Yeah. yeah. Are you eager about Jesus? Are you excited? Yeah. Or are you like, yeah, whatever? And you wait with what? Patience. Patience. You see, this is the whole, the, the kids get this, right? This is the whole Christmas. Yeah, you're eager. You can't wait, right? But at the same time, you've got to have patience because it doesn't come any earlier, no matter how excited you get. You still got to wait until December 25th, right? So it doesn't come earlier. It never does. Is, is Jesus going to come early for you? No, he's not. What day is he coming? You don't know, and I don't know, but guess what? God's already got a circle on the camera. He knows the exact time, minute, second, okay? He's coming at that time. Yeah. Okay? That's not the point. I'm just using it for an illustration. Okay? So, you got to wait eagerly and with patience. All right? 
hope of God is what we're waiting on. Now, when he says this, the Apostle Paul writes this, okay? So, what do we have already? I want you to look, look at one verse earlier in Romans chapter 8, verse 23, okay? In Romans 8, 23, he says, Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now, one day I'm going to preach through the book of Romans. But for right now, let me just unpack some of this for you for a second, okay? So, what you don't have yet is everything in the future, which is why you need what? such a big deal, okay? It's a big deal because of this word first fruits, okay? Now, some of you are going to get this, and it's going to be like, wow, and some of you, it's going to go right over your head, but I'm going to try to explain it anyway, okay? Here's, here's what first fruits is, okay? Back in the old days, okay, if you got a farm, okay, and let's say you grow wheat, or let's say you, uh, you have a, a vineyard, and so you grow grapes, right? Okay, when those first grapes come in, Okay? You take some of the first ones, that's the first fruits, right? The first fruits that came on the vine. And you bring them to who? Nope. God. God. You bring the first fruits to God. Because God is first, right? Now, so you have that all through the Bible. If you read the whole Old Testament, you'll see this happens over and over and over and over again, okay? And so the first fruits goes to God. But here's the crazy thing. What does Romans 8 say that the Spirit is? What? The first fruit. But who gave it? God. So what does God do when giving first fruits? That's not how it works. We give first fruits. See, you work, you get grapes, and then you give the first grapes to God. God gives the first fruits. The rest of the fruits, that's called the latter fruits or the later fruits, okay? That's what comes after, okay? The first fruits means there's going to be more. When I bought my house, you give them a down payment. That's the first fruits. That's a promise to them that I'm going to keep giving them what? More money until the house is paid, okay? Right. So here's the deal. Now, you've got to get this. This should blow your mind. We're not giving God first fruits. God gave us first fruits. And what was the first fruits? God. The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is just the first part. You're going to get the rest of it. But when do you get the rest of it? Exactly. This is why you got to have hope, because it's in between the here and there. So God gives us the Holy Spirit as the down payment. If you get a down payment, that means there's more what to come? Payment. Right? There's more payments coming. What do you mean more payments? God's paying me? Yeah, he's already given you the Holy Spirit. What else do you get? Heaven, God's kingdom, eternal life, a brand new body. Right? What more do you want? Right? That's what we're talking about. That's what the hope is. You're like, what do I have to be hopeful about? What do I have to be excited about? Are you kidding me? You didn't give God the first fruits. He gave you the first fruits. And what is the first fruit? The Holy Spirit. And who's the Holy Spirit? God. So he gave you himself as the first fruit. And then he's going to give you more. That's crazy. That's, that's crazy. True hope gives you strength, people. So how do you get through your struggles in your life? Because you already got the down payment, people. The Holy Spirit. That's how. When you understand this, you got true hope, okay, to get you from here to there. Because you got the Holy Spirit living in you if you're a believer. If you're not a believer, well, you repent of your sins. You tell God you're a sinner. You're messed up. You've been living your own way, and you want him to come change your life. Guess what? He comes in, wipes away your sins. Why? Because Jesus took your sins on the cross and died for them. But then he rose from the dead. And he gives you this Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 8. This down payment, this first fruits. That's just the beginning of your life with God. If that's the beginning, 
then it really is true. The best is yet to come. Exactly. But before you get there, because we're only here, and in between the here and the there is hope. True hope gives you strength. Let me throw you just a couple of scriptures, okay, about how true hope gives you strength, all right? And I'll just give you the quick background so you can see what I mean. In Acts chapter 28, verse 20, okay, he says this. This reason I've asked to see you and speak to you. In fact, it is for the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. Wearing what chain? The apostle Paul got thrown in prison. That's what he's talking about. Why is he in prison? Why is he wearing chains? He's saying, here's the reason I'm in prison, because I got hope. Because in between the here and there is hope. Hope. Paul ain't there yet, but he's here, and he's in prison. That's his here. You want, you want to struggle? You want a hard time? Go to prison. That's what Paul did. So if Paul's in prison, that's the here. But he's hoping to get there. But in between, there's hope. And why? Because the hope of Israel. What hope does Israel have? Same hope Paul had. Who's your hope? God's your hope. Look at 1 Thessalonians 1.3. The Apostle Paul writing again. He says, we recall in the presence of our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and your endurance of hope. hope. What does endurance mean? It means you don't quit. It means you keep up. You keep going. Don't get in. The hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's Paul saying? I didn't quit. How do I get through this? Because I got hope. Romans 16. Sorry, Romans 15, 4. Whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have what? Hope through what? Endurance. Endurance. What does that mean? That's those tough times, people. That's when life's no good. That's when it's bad. But if you got hope, you can cope. So when it's bad, that's why. Through the encouragement from the scriptures. That's why you got to be in the word. Scriptures encourage you, okay? Hebrews chapter 6, verses 10 to 12, okay? My last one, just as a, as a pointer here on this. True hope that gives you strength. Hebrews 6, 10 to 12. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you showed for his name when you served the saints and you continue to serve them now. Now we want each of you to demonstrate the same diligence. That means keep doing it for the final. Final means what? Okay. Final realization. That means you get it. The final realization of your hope. Well, your final realization of your hope is, is that here or is that there? That's there. Because it's final realization, so it's there. So what do you need in between the here and the there? Hope. hope. True hope keeps faithful, okay? True hope keeps you faithful. It keeps you having strength, and it keeps you faithful. And isn't that what you need? If you're going to be a believer, you need to stay faithful, right? Don't jump off the vine, because you ain't going to be a big, plump, juicy grape if you jump off the vine. What are you going to be? Sour, dried up, dead grape, no good to anybody, right? Stay in the vine, okay? First Peter chapter 1, 3 to 9. <clears throat> Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a what? Living hope. Is your hope dead? No. No. How are you going to get from here to there? Because you've got a living hope. Your living hope is based and trusted in who? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Exactly. And he's, thank you for saying it the way you did. The resurrection. Because he's not dead. That's why you've got a living hope. Because Jesus is alive. He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance. Get this. Your inheritance. When do you get that? Here or there? There. there which means you've got to have hope in between time, right? So, and you get your inheritance over there, and what kind of inheritance is it? It's imperishable. That means it doesn't get rotting, okay? It doesn't die. It's uncorrupted. That means you can't mess it up, okay? It's unfading. That means it stays brand new. How long do your jeans last? After 100 washes, they don't look new, do they? Nope, but guess what? Your inheritance with Jesus Christ, it don't fade. It's kept where for you? In heaven. Well, guess what? That means no one's stealing it, Okay? You go by yourself a brand new whatever you want. You lock it up in your house, and guess what? Someone might break in and do what? Steal it. Well, guess what? Your inheritance is your salvation in Jesus Christ. And where is that kept for you? It's kept in heaven. And who's going to go break into heaven and steal it? Nobody. Because who would you have to beat up to do that? God. God. Who can beat up God? Exactly. So your salvation is safe and secure with Jesus. <clears throat> in 1 
1 Peter 1, 13 to 15. Peter continues and he says this. Therefore, go to the whole next. Yeah. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, look at this. Be serious. It's not a joking matter. It's just set your hope. How much? Completely. 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 100%. On the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. Don't do what everybody else does. Instead, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all of your conduct. So don't be like the world. Instead, you'd be holy like who? Like Jesus. Because we're becoming like Jesus. All right, my last verse before I conclude is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Now, I don't want to open up a whole another sermon here, okay? This is a famous passage. But faith is the reality of what is hoped for. It's the proof of what is not seen. Listen, when we're talking about getting from the here to there, you need hope and faith in between. Because you can't see what's going to happen between the here and the there. But who knows everything that's going to happen between the here and the there. God knows everything. And so you've got to put your faith and your trust and your hope in the one who knows everything that's going to happen between the here and the there. You trust in human governments, they don't know between the here and the there. They don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. They might think they do, but they don't. You put your hope and your trust in a man or a woman, they don't know what's going to happen between today and tomorrow or the here and the there. You put your hope and trust in idols, people, money? No. You put your hope and faith in the only one that knows what's going to happen between the here and the there. And guess what? He'll carry you safely from here to there when you put your hope and your faith and your trust in him. So how do you have hope? Your key idea? The way for you to live this out? You can cope with the hardships of life because of the hope you have in Jesus Christ. That's how. Let me pray for you by praying Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him so that you may overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.